Dear James, stop. It has been a fortnight since your arrival in Black River and six days since receipt of your initial dispatch. Stop. Has reason for construction delay been determined? Stop. Please update immediately. Stop. Hiram Alexander Buntrock, President, Eastern Pacific Railroad Company of America. Dear Mr. Buntrock, it is always a pleasure to receive one of your missives, either of a business or a personal nature. My apologies for the belated response, but the reasons for the delay in track construction remain unclear. Only a handful of abandoned workers' tents remain, and when I question the locals, they avoid my gaze and hurry past. Those who do engage with me quickly change the subject. Simply put, I cannot get an answer. But, as you know, resistance only fuels my determination. Indeed, Charlotte barely gave me the time of day during our early courtship, but in time I became her husband and your devoted son-in-law. I've struck up something of a rapport with a colorful local named Gimpy, a former prospector prone to homespun aphorism and humorously profane opinion of a kind not quotable in business correspondence. Our discourse thus far is primarily the exchange of limericks, but I feel I am gaining his trust. Rest assured, I am on the case. I remain, most sincerely, James Christian Urbaniak. My darling wife, Charlotte, I can hardly believe that the moon that shines over me this evening in Black River, Wyoming, is the same one shining over you in Philadelphia. Conditions are certainly uncluttered by sophistication here. The men seem to be of an earlier breed, and the women are, shall we say, far from ladies. Even the dogs are disagreeable and repel from human touch. I keep a small room above the mercantile, which wants desperately for an application of soap and water. However, I've come to firmly believe that neither substance exists in agreeable form west of the Missouri. The landscape is at once offensive and alluring, with towers of stone thrusting savagely from the soft expanse of the plains. I walk the rails each day, to the point where they end mysteriously at the base of a rock formation, which appears to have been blasted only once and then abandoned. If you saw me now, you would likely throw back your pretty head and laugh. I have taken to wearing a so-called cowboy hat. It is a wide-brim number of black felt and questionable millining. Before you roll your eyes adorably, rest assured that my intention is not to affect a vulgar persona, like your cousin Aubrey and his queer but amusing efforts to dress like a seafarer. Rather, its usage is practical. How the sun does seem closer to the earth here. The cowboy hat, while absurd, does provide relief. (laughs) Will you promise not to laugh about it with your temperance club? I don't think I could bear any further humiliation. I hope you trust also that my wholehearted dedication to uncover and mitigate the reason for this delay in laying iron is fueled as much by my loyalty to the Eastern Pacific Railroad Company and the greater cause of uniting this fine nation as it is by a deep desire to return to you. I miss you, my love. Tell me, darling, are the roses blooming? Yours in eternal admiration, James. My darling husband, oh, James, I'm afraid I did laugh at the image of you in your cowboy hat. Will you bring it home with you? Perhaps I could try it on. It might cause much amusement at the next dinner party. I'm greatly relieved to know that you are safe and working ceaselessly to complete your mission for father. Do you think it's Indians? Please be careful. 
I prefer the only arrow in our lives to be Cupid's. Franklin Collier's sister Amelia is to be married on August 12th to a Swedish man with a prominent beard. I'm to attend. Aunt Anna has taken ill again, but the doctor still says there's nothing wrong with her. Oh, and the other morning, the new housekeeper found young Aubrey sleeping in the garden next to an empty bottle and a book of poetry. She's a German of stern demeanor and was greatly unamused. Aubrey is taken to calling her my darling, which I must admit tickles me. He does tease her so. I hope she doesn't quit. Keep heart, darling, and remember the words of Voltaire. Those who walk on the well-trodden path always throw stones at those who are showing a new road. Yours in endless affection, Charlotte. P.S. The roses are pink and vibrant, but they do want for the rain. My dearest Charlotte, I will allow you to laugh at my hat, my dearest. How wonderful that you are laughing again. I can practically hear your echoing peals as I read your letter. It pleases me no end that my little darling is coming out of her long mourning for Mr. Lincoln and is becoming again the gay angel who won my heart. I trust your wardrobe, like your demeanor, is less black these days. By the way, was that one of my books of poetry that Aubrey left in the dirt? No matter. The almanac predicts rain soon, my love. How I long to bury my face in the petals. Yours eternally, James. Dear Mr. Budrock, Firstly, I must again seek your forgiveness regarding the tardiness of my response to your last telegram. Know that any delay I have in reporting to you is caused only by my complete absorption in the task at hand. Secondly, I am relieved to inform you that I believe I have made a breakthrough, which I hope will restore order to the construction very soon. The cause for delay is neither Indian sabotage nor workman's unrest as we had feared. Gaining the trust of my drinking partner, Gimpy, has paid off, and he has revealed that during the initial blasting of the formation known as Devil's Claw on March 4th, a silver deposit was discovered embedded within the rocks. As the toothless blackguard put it in his non-grammatical fashion, there's silver in them hills. Although Devil's Claw and its environs are not technically hills. Since that time, the workers have simply abandoned the railroad en masse in favor of endeavoring to open a mine on the other side of our intended route. I plan to persuade them that their patriotic duty and Eastern Pacific Railroad Company's vision for the Republic and her people vastly surpasses the selfish fantasy of fleeting material wealth. I visit the mining site tomorrow. We'll report back soon. I remain, most sincerely, your faithful employee, and son-in-law, James Christian Urbaniak. Dear Mr. Buttrock, Since our last communication, I have engaged in many conversations with the locals. In response to a startling lack of patriotism to my appeals of a nation united, I have tried to persuade them with the more individualistic benefits of our mission, open trade of all kinds, coastal vacations in summer, and the promise of all manner of grapefruits, peaches, and bananas to cheer their breakfast tables in the winter months. And yet, despite these petitions, they simply do not appear interested in returning to work on the rails. I regret to postulate that we may have to divert the track to the south or bring in new workers. I know this will be a hardship to EPR, but I fear I have exhausted my personal resources in this matter. Respectfully yours... James.
Dear James, stop. I trust your next report will be more positive. Stop. Sincerely, H.A.B. Dearest Charlotte, how I need your gentle guidance more than ever. Things have gotten ever disagreeable for me in Black River. Even Gimby's one good eye betrays some combination of pity and amusement. Truth be told, I become something of a joke in these parts. I hear muttered imitations of me as I pass. Did you know that I speak in an adenoidal, over-articulated travesty of the Eastern dialect? Because that seems to be the standard lampoon. It is clear to me now that the company will need to find an alternate plan, that I should return home directly. I have failed, Charlotte. I beg your understanding. Although I was confident in my mission, my pride cannot move mountains. Of course, it was Shakespeare who said, I charge thee, fling away ambition. <laughs> By that sin fell the angels. Are the roses still pink in their blossom, darling? I remain your devoted husband, James. Dear James, as you know, Icarus's mistake was not reaching too high, but taking his eyes off his goal. You know how profoundly I admire your determination. I do trust that you have bucked up considerably since your last letter and are now doing everything you can to get Father's rail projects back on track, <laughs> so to speak. I've ordered new wallpaper for the parlor, but cannot find a reputable paper hanger to save my soul. As the weather takes a colder turn, the garden does threaten to wither. Yours, Charlotte. My darling James, whatever has become of you, father has worried himself to exhaustion and business at the office is at a positive standstill. Please send word soon, or I do not like to think what will become of my nerves. This morning I shouted at Aubrey for no reason. Yours anxiously, Charlotte. Dear Charlotte, apologies for my lapse in communication. I witnessed a cave-in at the mine today. I thought surely it would put a stop to the project and I would be able to seize this God-given opportunity to return interest back to the stability of the railroad. But I still have much to learn about this frontier life. You wouldn't believe the way old Gimpy stepped in to help clear the passage, lame-legged as he is. In fact, I believe I have yet to see a young able-bodied Easterner move quite so spryly. A mother cow died during calving yesterday, and we made steaks of her this evening. I first thought it terribly savage, but it's really not much different than the taste of steer. Then again, I think I've never been so hungry in all my life. Perhaps that was a help. Yours, James. Dear James... You know I do not generally have time for writing letters, but I feel it necessary to reach out to you at this time in a longer form, to ensure my point is fully elucidated. Though I have not heard from you directly in over three weeks, I understand from my daughter that you have yet to make any notable progress in Black River. 
Charlotte seems to retain faith in you, and I can only hope that I have not overestimated your abilities of persuasion. As a child, Charlotte was wont to bring in fistfuls of dandelions for the dining table. In time, she was made to understand that they were only weeds, and that weeds may be virile and attractive, but ultimately... They must be discarded by the gardener who has the foresight to see their epidemic danger to the greater good. Your father-in-law, Hiram A. Buntrock. My dear Charlotte, I know it has been a dreadful amount of time since my last letter. I hope you can forgive me. Please exchange the enclosed silver nugget for a coach ride to Black River at your earliest convenience. I've come into ownership of an abandoned homestead, several miles of town, and it is in dire need of a woman's touch. Do you see how the nugget is shaped by the grooves and contours of the mountain, so different than the flattened hearts and beaten-down rings of the jeweler's display? Hurry home to me, darling. I cannot wait to show you the astonishing culinary variations of the simple bean. Your devoted husband, James. My dear James, you cannot know how deeply our last correspondence has disturbed father and me. Come home at once. Yours, Charlotte. Dear James, stop. It has been 16 days since your last communication. Stop. Update progress immediately. Stop. I may send new workers, but they will not be whom you think they are. Hiram Alexander Buntrock, President, Eastern Pacific Railroad Company of America. Dear James, I miss you, darling. Won't you come home? Please write me. Yours, Charlotte. James, as you haven't responded to my last two letters, I can only assume the postmaster himself has been buried in the mine. Or perhaps you no longer desire to converse with me. However, I feel I would be remiss if I did not inform you that Father has sent men for you, of the type who are not on the government bond payroll. They left Council Bluffs last evening and should reach Black River in a fortnight. If there is any hope at all of you coming to your senses... I bid you to hurry to the next coach before it is too late. Jane Austen's Elizabeth says, What are men to rocks and mountains? Well, I say the opposite. What are rocks and mountains to men? Beyond that, what of a garden left untended, dear James? What once was a promenade for lovers to wander can so quickly become a gnarled tangle of dried thorns not fit for goats to amble? And what of the buds of springtime? Shall you deny that legacy, the legacy of your very name? Forget my name, the chatter as I pass. Is this your bequest? Nuggets and beans? I can think only now of the wishing well in the courtyard of our happy ceremony just two autumns ago. How we threw pennies in and laughed together and dreamed of our future after the celebrants had gone. How you suddenly became so earnest and pointed out the ripples as the coins splashed in. Do you see those? You asked of me. A wish is not merely a man's own. 
it touches the wishes of all the others around it. Dare I hope, James? Dare I wish? Your wife, Charlotte Elizabeth Urbaniak, Nibadrock. Charlotte, in addition to a cowboy hat, I now own a gun. A long rifle of handsome walnut finish and cunning precision. Gimpy has mentored me in its usage and calls me a natural. You have a home waiting for you, my darling, with a loving protector. In the meantime, I await my visitors with open arms. Returning to Philadelphia is no longer a choice nor a desire. I now believe in fate. And fate must be met with adaptation, not resistance. As Francis Bacon said, nature, to be commanded, must be obeyed. Or as Gimpy puts it, once the goats have fucked each other, all you can do is build a bigger pen. I remain... Getting On with James Urbaniak, Episode 13, The Transcontinental, was written by Brie Williams and James Urbaniak, and produced by Dustin Marshall and James Urbaniak. Hiram was played by Mark Agliardi, Charlotte by Jenny Wade. This program is part of the Feral Audio Network. Visit feralaudio.com for prior episodes and other podcasts.